we are praying for revival, brothers and sisters. Uh, let us take just a moment to consider what it is, what revival is. And I, I broached this subject with fear and trembling, knowing that many of you have probably read quite a bit uh, or been exposed to quite a bit on the subject of revival. I, I have read some, uh, like to read more, but I've read the best book on revival, which is the Bible. Knowing more of what we need and what it is should help us in praying for it. Uh, first of all, the psalmist petition is ours in verse six. Wilt thou not revive us again? This is what we're praying for. Uh, the English version that uh, reads revive us again is a bit redundant. Uh, the word in the original, the Hebrew word, means to make alive. To revive is to make alive or to quicken. In Psalm 119, that longest chapter in the Bible, as the psalmist nears the end of this glorious and great psalm, uh, he again uses the word various times. As he builds to a crescendo, and praise, he says, O Lord, quicken me according to thy judgment. It's the same word that we have here translated as revive. Revive me. Make me alive. Quicken me. Quicken me according to thy judgment. Quicken me according to thy word. Quicken me according to thy judgments. And lastly, in that psalm, quicken me, O Lord according to thy loving kindness. Uh, the idea is quicken and live us again. What we have here when he says revive us again, make us alive again, okay? We have received life from you, oh Father. But we know we need more of your life, of eternal life, of the burning of your spirit, quickening us and empowering us to live in holiness and in righteousness. We're like the dry bones in Ezekiel 37 that need the breathing of God's uh, Holy Spirit to, to quicken us to love righteousness and to be instruments of righteousness as Paul calls us to, to be. Um, third, Christ is a quickening spirit. Christ is who we need, most of all. He is the one that gives the Holy Spirit. The Father, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. But Jesus, having uh, risen from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father, has poured out his Spirit upon all flesh. And that is why we are Christians. That is why we are believers. Because he gives us the faith and the repentance and the life to walk in his ways. Christ is, uh, the, the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, says Christ is a quickening spirit. He's a spirit that is life-giving, that makes alive. He is, he tells us, he told us, the resurrection and the life. He is life. He's the light of men, and he gives life to the world, and especially to his church. 
to make us his children and to give us the capacity to walk um, in obedience and, and glorify him in this life. We are asking our Savior to pour out his Holy Spirit to us and in this world and to others. Now, what effect will this have on us and on others? What we're asking for, seeking, is a Holy Spirit revival. In this Holy Spirit revival, what effect will it have upon us? Well, I put to you that it will cause an increase. You know, this list could probably be expanded, but it will cause an increase of, first of all, true faith. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking to him. If we look at this psalm in verses 2 and 3, the psalmist says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Well, how has God forgiven the iniquity of his people? It's through Christ. Through the Messiah and, and the Lord looking upon what his son was going to do for his people in the future at this time. The psalmist could say with confidence, he had the types of the sacrifices which represented Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sins. All their sin. Selah, reflect upon this. Verse 3, thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Christ is our propitiation. How has God's wrath been taken away from his people, both the Old Testament people and the new? It's only through Jesus and what he has done on the cross, our perfect propitiation. And his blood covers us. And so thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. God is angry with the wicked every day. But God is able to pardon and save souls because of Christ. Because he turns himself from the fierceness of his anger with respect to his people. And then the psalmist says what we read in verse 4, turn us, O God. True faith, looking unto Christ. True faith in God and in his word, which declares Christ to us. Secondly, true prayer. He says in verse uh, five, wilt thou be angry with us forever? He takes the place of a spiritual beggar, of a needy person. God is right to be angry with me and with us for our sinfulness and our sin. If he hadn't have imposed, interposed Christ, then we would be consumed. For he is a consuming fire. But he interposed, he interposed the precious blood of Christ. And he can receive us who are spiritual beggars. This is the word used in uh, first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We are spiritual beggars. We recognize our need is great. We need pardon. We need the Holy Spirit. We need sanctification. We need everything from him. And this is the spirit of prayer. The spirit of dependence upon God. Knowing that we can do nothing without him without Christ, the spirit of true prayer. We'll see an increase of that through Holy Spirit revival. Thirdly, I believe we'll see an increase of true confession 
acknowledgement of our sin before God, like the psalmist acknowledges here. And there's a theme of righteous anger at the beginning of this psalm. From verses 3 to 5, thou hast taken away all thy wrath. There's anger that in God is obviously righteous anger. The fierceness of it, anger against sin. Verse 4, cause thine anger toward us to cease. And verse 5 at the end, uh, as well as at the beginning, at the end, wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? So there's a recognition that we are under the right, we, we actually deserve God's anger. And so we confess our sin and we look to Christ and our hope for revival, our hope for receiving his Holy Spirit, our hope that he will answer our prayer for the spirit to come down upon our children, upon our nations, upon uh, our uh, uh, churches, upon our um, neighbors is our hope is all in Christ. So we confess our sin joyfully because we know if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But fourthly, we'll see an increase of true repentance. True repentance and true holiness. I'm putting these together uh, for the moment. And by this, we mean obedience. Repentance is turning away from sin and beginning to obey God's commandments, obey his word, his will, and walk in holiness. Holiness is the fruit of the spirit. And in verse 6, we read, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? One of the fruits of the spirit is joy. And obedience is not the true spirit of obedience uh, if it is not joyful obedience. So we teach our children, the obedience must be cheerful. Uh, we will rejoice in, in God and we will rejoice in obeying him when we have faith and when we have his spirit within us directing our way. So joyful obedience to God's word. And as uh, Matthew said yesterday, as Matt said, uh, we hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, righteousness is obedience to God's will, to his holy law. And it becomes a hunger and thirst in the repentant believer. And as we grow in Christ and in sanctification, we become more repentant, more desirous of being like Christ and doing his will constantly. There's more conscience against sin. There's more hatred of sin and evil. Love for righteousness and truth and love for God, and the opposing of evil. There's more seeking of God's righteousness. And in verses 8 and 9 here, at, at the end of uh, verse 8, we read, but let them not turn again to folly. Well, sin is folly. It's utter folly in the face of a holy, living, all-powerful God. And sinners are, are fools. Well, we who have been rescued from that, let us not turn again to folly. It is, let us be more repentant. Let us walk more in obedience. Let us not sin against God. And so this repentance, this holiness in the Christian will grow. And in verse 9, we read, surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him. The fear of the Lord will increase in the believer. And when God gives more of his spirit and brings revival. And just two more things, lastly, 
uh, true worship guided by God's revelation, not worship of, uh, of any sort that we can think and conjure up, but worship that is according to what God reveals as to how he desires to be worshiped and honored. Worship in spirit and in truth, not self-centered Pharisee, not like the, not like the self-centered Pharisee, but as the God-centered publican who confessed his sin and would not lift up his eyes unto the uh, uh, above because of his sense of sin. So with truth in the inward parts. And lastly, true, I, I, I watched, uh, after I printed out my notes, uh, I saw uh, Stephen's uh, uh, email. I read Stephen's email from two days ago. And uh, that was just last night. And so I couldn't leave this out. Lastly, true unity. That is one-mindedness. And that is through receiving conformity to Christ. How can we become so many members of the body of Christ become more one-minded? It's as God conforms us more to his son. As we receive conformity to the mind of Christ. So let us pray. Let us pray for an increase of these. And I tried to make it easy by calling them all true. <laughs> true faith, true prayer, true confession, true repentance and holiness, true worship, and true unity. And like I said, I think there's more that could be added. But let us pray for an increase of these.